0: And those conflicts between nations create real problems. And I think that we're headed toward a world where states are going to play a role in that. They're going to play a role in internet fragmentation and, and conflicts of laws that burden tech platforms. And I think it's going to be really deeply problematic.
2: I'm Quinta Jurassic, Senior Editor at Lawfare. And this is the Lawfare Podcast, January 23rd, 2023. Today, we're bringing you an episode of Arbiters of Truth, our occasional series on the information ecosystem. Tech policy reform occupies a strange place in Washington, D.C. Everyone seems to agree that the government should change how it regulates the technology industry on issues from content moderation to privacy. And yet, reform never actually seems to happen. But while the federal government continues to stall, state governments are taking action more and more state level officials are proposing and implementing changes in technology policy on their own. Most prominently, Texas and Florida recently passed laws restricting how platforms can moderate content, laws that will likely be considered by the Supreme Court later this year. To understand this trend, I spoke with J. Scott Babwa Brennan and Matt Peralt of the Center on Technology Policy at UNC Chapel Hill. In the past year, they've put together two reports on state-level tech regulation. We talked about what's driving this trend, why and how state-level policymaking differs and doesn't from policymaking at the federal level, and what opportunities and complications state-level tech policymaking could create. It's the Lawfare Podcast, January 23rd, when states make tech policy. Scott and Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Most of the conversations that we tend to have both on the podcast and just, you know, generally when talking about tech policymaking tend to be on the federal level. But the report that we're talking about here focuses on state-level initiatives. What led you to focus on the states?
1: It's, it's sort of a kind of long-wandering sort of story uh, about how we ended up, like, working on state issues but I think in the biggest sense, it's it's what you just said that that uh, so much of of tech policy is you know that so much of the conversation focuses on the national or the international level. But you know as as i'm'm I'm, you know we're going to talk about in, in a minute, like so like of what's happening at the states is is really important and increasingly so. And so I think we we realized that this was something that we didn't know that much about initially, but that was really important and needed to be addressed more directly.
0: We released a report last April about what states could do to regulate online content moderation. And I, the genesis for that, I think, was just that there were lots of states that were starting to do that. And we were seeing laws passed, laws proposed, speeches at the state level about the state role in regulating online speech. And that inspired us, I think, to think, well, what could a roadmap look like for content moderation regulation at the state level? And then when we did that, I think we got a lot of questions from people kind of asking us to look more broadly, I guess, at at What was going on at the state level. And I think we realized that we had a sense that there was lots of activity. We certainly knew of stuff that was going on in privacy and saw various different press stories about things that were happening in antitrust. But we didn't, we realized we didn't really know like systematically what was happening at the state level. And then as actually has been the case with a lot of the reports that Scott and I have authored, the genesis for this sort of came from us looking for information that we wanted that we wanted to get in order to understand this landscape better. So we initially, I think, started this this project from the point of view of we're going to go out and find the report that's written out there about what's happening in state policy, technology policy at the state level, because surely that exists. Surely there's an overview about what's happening in tech at the state level. And we didn't really find that. And we kept looking for it and looking for it. And even as we were doing this report, we kept asking ourselves, is it actually the case that this exists somewhere and we're just duplicating something that exists? And- and it might, it might be that it does exist somewhere, but we haven't found it. We haven't found something that just kind of looks comprehensively at what's going on in platform regulation at the state level. And once we sort of saw that gap, we we were eager to try to fill it.
2: So what? why do you think there is that gap? Right? Why why aren't people paying more attention to it? Is it just because you know there are fifty states, there's DC and a bunch of territories? It's hard to figure out what's going on in so many different places. Is it because we're overly focused on the federal government? What is it?
1: I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a great question, and I think I think but but I can I can offer some some I guess some thoughts on this or some some guesses. I think it's, it's a couple things. One most of the regulations that deal with technology and technology platforms right like are national in scope like in 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 the the big ones that that uh, have been sort of like the most influential have are sort, sort of like na- national in in scope right like section 230 or like you know copa from from uh, tw- 20 years ago i mean you know platforms sort of operate across the country and and uh, we're dealing re- right with you know business that happens across state lines. And so it makes sense that like the national government is going to deal with this. Um, But but I think there's like another story there, which is you're pointing to, uh, which maybe is more interesting about, you know, we we tend to just uh, be less interested in news that's happening at the state level anyway, right? There's been this kind of, uh, long-running bias about, about uh, you know, that, that we're just more focused on national news than at state news. Part of that, I think, is like the decline of state-level news outlets doing the sort of like good, you know, rigorous coverage that we need on, the, on these issues. I think one thing that was striking for us looking at it,
0: looking at this issue while also reading national reporting on what was going on in tech policy in Congress and doing that at the same time. Because on the state side, we were seeing and we can discuss this in more detail, this like structure that pushes in favor of reform actually happening at the state level, that state governments are well-structured to, to do reform. And then also this big incentive from states, this momentum that states have to do reform. And so we were seeing all this action and potential action at the state level. And there was very little coverage of that. And at the same time, we were seeing a, a structure that I think is consistent with stagnation in Congress, but tons of reporting, about what might or might not happen in Congress, and you know that 's the um, some of the antitrust proposals and some of the issues related to journalism platform relationships and privacy and children 's issues from probably July first through the end of the lame Duck Congress. there were lots and lots of stories in the tech press um, and in national outlets about what might happen in congress and I think some of that is that when you have when you're a reporter and your beat is covering D.C. politics and policy, you're going to report on D.C. politics and policy. And so that means a lot of stories about this bill was just proposed and maybe this bill will pass and maybe it won't. I don't think there's a very strong incentive to cover what might be happening in a legislature in North Carolina or Arkansas or larger states, Texas, Florida, New York and California, even to some extent. Um, There's just not the incentive to cover it in the same way that you would be covering political issues in DC even though the prospects and reform of reform in DC seem so attenuated and the prospects of reform at the state level seem you know much much higher
2: yeah I will say that conversations around you know the possibility for for tech reform for social media regulation antitrust privacy remind me a little bit of the Running joke journalists had during the Trump administration about how it was always infrastructure week. Uh, the administration was always going to do something mm-hmm. about infrastructure, and it never actually happened. You know, it's it's always privacy week. It's always social media <laughs> policymaking week.
0: Yep, it's always antitrust reform week. We're almost there. It's almost exactly. Happen. Yeah. And actually, it's, it reminds me. It reminds me of a dynamic that I have with my daughter around around bedtime. She always prefers her mom to put her to bed. We try to split time equally, and um, whenever. I ask her if it's my turn to put her to bed. She always says tomorrow is Daddy's turn. Tomorrow is always the better day.
2: <laughs> so, so I want to ask uh, before we get into the specifics about more about Matt, what you just described in terms of the structure that pushes in terms of reform happening at the state level. What is that structure and why, in your view, does it differ from what we're seeing at the federal level? And also, if you could spell out a little bit more, you know, what we see happening at the federal level, because I think listeners are probably familiar with the idea that uh, Congress is gridlocked and and rarely does things. But I think giving a little more context in the specific uh, context of tech policymaking would be helpful.
1: So uh, at the structural side, it's it's really two things. Uh, first, it, it's more common, right, for states to have uh, unified p- political control of government. And so, after the 2020 midterms, I think now 39 states have what people call trifectas, which is a single party controls the governor's office and both both houses of, con- uh, of the legislature. Um, which means they can right, just a single party can pass pass legislation through without having to to work with the other party. And so, you know, that, that makes it just that much easier to, to pass pieces of legislation. You know, we, we, uh, estimated that over the past term. As around eighty percent of bills, uh, platform regulation bills, were passed under uh, under one of these trifectas, and so I think that's that's the big that's, that's the biggest thing, right? And the same reason that we're now not <laughs> expecting to see much happen at the national level because we have a divided government. We're expecting right now, thirty nine states have have a single party control at least of the 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 legislation uh, process. Yeah, I think the other thing is that that um, few states have filibusters, and so uh, so, some do, but but actually the majority don't, and so it again just like lowers that threshold to to what what states have to do to actually get a piece of piece of legislation uh, passed. Yeah, and, and that contrasts obviously with the federal level where the
0: filibuster is alive and well, and I think stands in the way probably of lots of reform where you could potentially get. 51 votes in favor of it. I I do think it's actually like a little bit of a mystery of why, quote unquote, sensible tech reform can't get through in Washington. Um, Certainly, policymakers want to lay that at the feet of tech companies. They make the claim all the time that tech company lobbying defeated a particular bill. And maybe that's the case, but it seems somewhat unlikely to me. There are tech lobbyists who who are in Brussels. There are tech lobbyists in Washington, D.C., and the Digital Markets Act and Digital Services Act passed in Brussels over big tech lobbying efforts, whereas there's lots of le- legislation in Washington that that can't move forward. And so I, I think it's probably more likely a structural issue as opposed to, or something related to the how Americans tend to feel about the underlying policy initiatives, as opposed to the fact that the idea that a lot there's a lobbyist who can actually stop a bill from happening. And I'm not quite sure exactly how that how that is different from what happens at the state level. There is no filibuster, but obviously, you know, there are, I think there are, it's difficult to figure out still, I think, what the right tech policy reform agenda is. Um, That's no different at the state level or the federal level or the international level. So it is interesting to see that on the international side and on the state side, they've been able to find ways for momentum in a way that the federal government hasn't.
2: So let's talk about what the landscape looks like in terms of the policy proposals that have been offered at the state level. You sketch out a number um, in your report, obviously. It's been a few months since then, and uh, new legislatures have come into office. They've put proposals on the table. What what kinds of things have states proposed and actually implemented?
1: Yeah, so, well, the report looks at five areas of, of platform uh, regulation, privacy, content moderation, antitrust, child safety, and then taxation. And so, you know, it's said, right, like, you know, we see different sorts of proposals in each of those categories. You know, I'll, I'll start with privacy, because I, I think you know it's probably the, you know, one of the most significant here. And certainly we're seeing the most action now already in, to, in, in this, this year. So you know, over the past was it five years since since 2018, five states have have passed comprehensive privacy, uh, consumer privacy legislation: California, Utah, Colorado, Virginia, and uh, Connecticut. And in the in the previous session, like you know, I think two uh, two passed. Uh, bills, but but uh, uh, many, many others, you know, I think more than a dozen, introduced and were considering these sort of comprehensive consumer privacy bills. We're already seeing those sorts of bills being introduced in states. Um, I, I think I saw someone estimated at something like you know almost 10, nearly ten sort of comprehensive data privacy bills have already been introduced just in the past. You know, a- a- already in, in this this month. And, and you know, one side, it really speaks to, you know, that we're not unlikely to see a sort of like national, you know, level uh, consumer privacy bill uh, pass anytime soon. But there seems to be like a lot of momentum, and maybe even sort of like growing momentum here. I think what's really kind of notable here is that, you know, these, these bills, you know, offer consumers, you know, a range of different uh, new rights as it relates to, 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 you know, to their data, whether that's editing the data that companies hold about them, or viewing it, or downloading it, or opting out of of, uh, of their data being used. But so of the five that have been passed, four of them, which are all based more or less on this this model from from Washington, the Washington Privacy Act, do not include a, a private right of action for for individuals to to file uh, lawsuits. Against companies for violations, uh, unlike the California bill, which which does, I think we are seeing a lot of of bills now uh, in in other states that adopt that same uh, model—the Washington Privacy uh, Act—that do not sort of have that private right of action. I think the other sort of key thing about these is is having that opt out rather than an opt-in provision. There's been sort of a lot of analysis that that you know that. It, it really makes a big difference, right? Like, what's the default? Right? Is the default that companies are not allowed to 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 uh, make use of user data unless that they're given explicit permission, or uh, is the default that they can unless the consumers opt out? And we're seeing sort of that opt out standard uh, being the one that that's that's kind of more more uh, uh, common. I think the other thing to say about privacy is is um, beside these like m- huge sort of comprehensive bills. Uh, There's a seem to be a lot of interest in sort of like more narrowly targeted bills dealing with with online privacy. Uh, So kind of most most notably, whether it's like biometric data privacy or genetic data. We're seeing a a number of bills uh, that passed in the previous session and that are that are already been introduced. Quinta, I don't know if we can ask a question back in your direction,
0: but I'm curious. I'm kind of curious. You follow this stuff closely how close would you have gotten to the number five for the number of privacy bills passed since 2018? Because I I was expecting when we started this report, I, I think just based on kind of my sense through osmosis of kind of like tech policy news and stuff, I think I would have said the number was much higher. Is five in line with what you would have expected?
2: I think that's probably around what I would have guessed, but I will say I've seen a lot more reporting on the California Privacy Rights Act than anything else. That It it feels like California has kind of saturated the news (laughs) for for whatever reason. But I think that that does go to your sort of underlying point, that it's actually really difficult to keep tabs on what is happening in all of these different states.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we were surprised across pretty much all the issues that we tracked, maybe not content moderation, maybe we had like a little bit of a better sense of that. But for the other issues, I think I was surprised, at least I won't speak for Scott, but I I was surprised that the number of bills that have actually been passed is relatively few. And so what we were, so it's like five in privacy and antitrust, Um, there's been no sweeping reform of antitrust law at the state level. New York proposed a bill that would have done that, but it didn't pass. There was also lots of attention to various different App Store regulatory proposals um, in states like Arizona. I don't believe any of those passed either. So even though there was like a lot of smoke around antitrust reform, there wasn't actually anything meaningful passed. So with this report, we sort of did two things. We were kind of looking retro retrospectively at what happened over the last term. And then we were also trying to predict going forward what might be likely to happen. And so the the number five in privacy is kind of a summary of where we've stood over the last couple of years. And then the question for us is whether you'd see that rate of past legislation increase in the years ahead. And, and I think our expectation is that it would, that there are now several different models, not just the California model, as Scott described. There's also this Washington model for what privacy legislation might look like. That gives states uh, different options to choose from in thinking through um, privacy legislation, And there hasn't been privacy legislation at the federal level, so that gives states some momentum and motivation to move forward and think about legislation in this area. They don't, as Scott was saying earlier, have the filibuster in place and other structural impediments. So I think we would see that rate. We would likely see that rate increase. But I think it is kind of notable that even though there has been activity and that's different than what's happened at the federal level, it's actually like a relatively slow rate so far.
2: And what have we seen in the way of content moderation? I think at this point, listeners are probably familiar with a sort of big ticket um, Texas and Florida legislation, which has been uh, appealed. Uh, It's been dealt with in the appellate courts. It is probably going to be taken up by the Supreme Court. These are laws that variously impose some transparency requirements and sort of limit the ability of platforms to moderate content. Tell me about other initiatives on the state level.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, the other, there were two others that kind of big ones that, that were passed recently. One is a, a transparency bill in California that uh, imposed some requirements about, uh, I think, quarterly or semi-annually uh, like transparency reports that, that platforms have to file um, and some rules around like disclosing the their community standards. Uh, and then this, this uh, uh, New York bill uh, which was passed in the in the wake of the Buffalo shooting, that uh, um, I think also has some transparency provisions, but then also um, has some imposes in- in some requirements about reporting uh, hate hate speech. So I think those are the only other two big ones that have passed. I you know I think the 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 thing about the the Florida and the Texas bills is you know those are the only two sort of like you know the, the like that 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 passed but there were you know dozens and dozens uh, of other of other bills that had been uh, introduced across states that did very s- similar sort of sort of things as far as i can tell right a lot of those bills were just sort of like messaging bills in fact, there were like uh, 15 all with essentially identical language. I think there was called like the Stop Social Media Censorship Act that, uh, you know, were, were short, were short on detail, but, 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 you know, took this really hard line sort of in, in pro- prohibiting, you know, I think it was like deleting or censoring users' religious or political speech just across the board. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
0: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt.
1: Until you tried it on.
2: So that gets to something that I was curious about, which is how much variation you're seeing in these laws across states and across parties. Because, of course, you know when we talk about state level policymaking people often think of this idea of the laboratories of democracy that the states are able to kind of experiment play with different things maybe uh you know something that works in washington is not something that's going to work in california or new york and you can pick a similar spread of red states on the other hand as you said you know a lot of these when we hear about you know state legislatures introducing bills, a lot of the time, in part because American politics has become so nationalized, there's actually a striking degree of similarity across states, particularly when it comes to, you know, sort of high profile political issues like tech policy has now kind of become, are you seeing things more, you know, are you seeing variation um across states and and between states governed by the same party um or is it really more sort of the familiar red and blue lines that we see in the US Congress
1: Yeah that that's a great question so uh i guess i guess a couple things so first you're right that there tends to be kind of maybe more uh similarity across states in a lot of these areas than than you might than you might expect and and I think you're absolutely right that like part of this is these like big national issues, like a lot of states kind of just follow on. I think the other sort of side of that is to just recognize what it's like to to do, you know, lawmaking or policymaking at the state level. right? Like state legislatures are filled with um, uh, lawmakers who are, for the most part, part time who may not have the uh, ability to employ large staffs to help write bills or, or, or review policy uh, and the lawmakers themselves might not have a great deal of expertise in the, the topics that they're discussing and they're considering and so you know in that in that landscape other organizations uh, have a lot of sort of influence whether that you know in, in whether that's uh, a writing model bills, or draft legislation, um, or just kind of providing, you know, expertise and advice kind of behind the scenes. And so I think, you know, or, or you know, a lawmaker in one state sees something happening in another state and 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 just sort of, <laughs> I mean, for, for lack of a better word, just kind of copies the legislation that's being, that's being introduced. And, and so I think that sort of, you know, it, it explains some of the, the commonality seen, uh, you know the question of like the difference between the left and the right here, I think is a, is a much, is a much sort of bigger topic. And I think in, in dealing with tech, I think what, what's, what's kind of fascinating to me is that the party lines, the divisions don't always sort of fall as you might expect. And we actually see maybe more agreement than you might expect, at least at the level of like recognizing that there's a problem or like at the level of, you know, interest or commitment to do, to doing something in the, in the realm of 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 uh, platform regulation, now that does sort of fall apart when, when it gets to the specifics, you know, of like what exactly needs to happen. But but um, you know, we see both both the left and the right like kind of agreeing that uh, maybe trans, you know, there should be additional transparency requirements placed on platforms, or agreeing that we need additional privacy protections for for uh, uh, for, for consumers. You know, that that doesn't always work out in in, in terms of like grand grand compromise.
2: Yeah, I mean that that sounds very familiar at the federal level too, right? That there there's a sort of a general sense that um, the internet is bad now, um, but but nobody can agree what to do about it. I mean, you you note in the report that sort of there are Democrats who want platforms to take more things down, there are Republicans who want platforms to leave more things up, and so even though there's a sort of generalized dissatisfaction, there's actually no real. Uh, agreement on what precisely the problem is, and I, I wonder whether that goes back to the point that you made earlier on that because there are more and more state legislatures that are unified and controlled with the governor, that that just makes it easier for one party to kind of bulldoze ahead, um, in a way that's not really possible at the federal level. Is, is does that sound right to you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think so. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, certainly in the in the in the um, as it relates to like content moderation. Yeah. Like both parties agree that, you know, something's wrong and maybe there's a space for the government to sort of do something here. But they they have total diametrically opposed sort of sort of accounts of like what the problem is. And but you're totally right, too, that that uh, the successes we see at the state are, are pretty much yeah a result not of like compromise across the parties, but but of a single party being able to to get legislation through.
0: I do wonder if a culture of experimentation
1: is part of what drives state activity,
0: that the, the laboratories of democracy line is not just kind of a abstraction, but is actually something that, sta- that states take seriously, and they're more willing to experiment with different policy options than federal lawmakers might be. I, I still think it's a really interesting thing to try to put your finger on what were the contributing causes to a Congress where House and Senate are both controlled by Democrats and a White House controlled by a Democrat, where Democrats have run on reforming the tech sector as one component of their their policy agenda. And they have that unified government for two full years and aren't able to get through meaningful reform of the tech sector again, I I think there's like tends to be a sort of knee-jerk reaction to point a finger at tech lobbying. And that just, I think that probably is a factor. I, I don't think it's the driving factor. And I do wonder a little bit if there's not a structure in Washington to pass proposals sort of for the purpose of experimentation, to try to understand how they actually work in practice, and then to learn from that, and then to improve those policies over time. And it seems like at the state level, there's a little bit more willingness to To move in that direction. I, I think in tech, generally, there's just an enormous amount that we don't know. Like I think, for instance, that there are a lot of elements of comprehensive privacy legislation that will make it more difficult for startups to compete with large platforms. I don't know that that's the case. I'm guessing that that's the case. I, I think there's there are reasons that I think my judgment there is informed, but it's also very possible that that judgment will be wrong. And so I think it's, it's constructive that states would do things that I might or might not agree with you. Might or might might not agree with Scott. Might or might not agree with, but where we can see from policy that's implemented how it affects various different considerations over time, and then learn something about about what smart tech policy looks like going forward. And that's just not really happening in Washington. It's it, that activity is really international and at the state level.
2: Yeah, that that gets to something that I've been thinking about, which is you know, to some extent, it seems like a lot of the tech policy proposals. Uh, in Congress, some of which seem to really have legs, have fallen down because they just weren't very good, <laughs> right? And that, that's not to say that Congress never passes bad laws. Of course it does. And I think that uh, the recent reform to Section 230, which goes by the acronym FASTA, that carves out uh, holes in Section 230 uh, for content related to sex trafficking, is a great example of a terrible policy that was successfully made by Congress. But, you know, you see all kinds of things with the antitrust legislation, for example, that seemed like it might really go somewhere, that there was a, an outcry from uh, a lot of journalistic and and tech policy think tanks, um, there was the Earn It Act that would have uh, addressed encryption policy. That also there was a lot of criticism of, and it, it also went nowhere. So I wonder, though, you know, when you look at the policies that are being proposed and actually passed and implemented on the state level, are they? good policies in your view? Like, or even if you don't agree with them, are they interesting, thoughtful, creative ways to address these problems? Or is it more that, you know, these are state governments that are able to kind of push ahead when the federal government might get snarled up. And so we end up with potentially bad policy that is being implemented and kind of experimented with, but might not be something that you'd actually want in a perfect world to see implemented.
0: So I, th- I think it's a great question. And and we actually tried to stay away from kind of a prescriptive approach in the report. We tried to stay away from kind of coding various different proposals as as good or bad. Um, but I think the short answer, and I'm not trying to be flippant, but I think the short answer to your question is, is actually, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't know. M- my guess is that CCPA, which is the privacy regulation in California, will decrease innovation and will make it harder for startups to compete with large incumbent platforms. But I might be wrong about that. My hope would be that we really try to learn from the implementation of these laws to understand if they work in practice. And I think probably my deepest concern is that we don't have a mechanism for doing that. And I think FOSTA, the, is the example that you raised, is a really good one. There was all this debate beforehand about whether FOSTA was going to be productive in practice. It was supposed to protect sex workers. Um, now there are there's a movement amongst sex workers that are campaigning for uh, the, the law's repeal. And we don't have a mechanism, I don't think, in place for looking really closely at the effect of a law after it's passed and then figuring out whether it should be continued or repealed based on how it's actually performed in practice. And I think that absence of that experimental approach leads to bad laws. You you and I agree, FOSTA is not a good law Um, being on the books indefinitely. I think it's going to be very difficult for FOSTA to ever be repealed. It politically would be incredibly challenging for someone to repeal it. Um, So I think it's going to be on the books indefinitely. So, so that approach enables, bad laws to perpetuate. It also means there's a lot of uncertainty about what actually makes for good law. So if it's the case that I'm wrong about some of my assumptions about CCPA, and that's the right model for states to use to think about privacy regulation, then it would be really helpful to have that data so that more states can adopt that model as opposed to choosing other models that might be less constructive.
2: And so is there a way to collect that data? Obviously, you know, it's a little hard. You can think of this as running experiments in 50 states, but of course there are so many variables that you you can't actually isolate. You can't have a version of Washington state that adopts one law and a version that that adopts a, a different law. How would you go about collecting that information?
0: Um so I've tried to think a lot about this and and embarrassingly, I don't think I've had I don't think I have very good answers to it. So one thing I think that you can do is put in place in legislation really strong frameworks for auditing and understanding the impact of the bills and to embed that in the legislation so you create audit committees or oversight boards or um, multi-stakeholder bodies you know made up of academics and industry and other types of experts who could develop reports or make recommendations based on the performance of something in practice obviously, there are issues around making it possible and facilitating incentivizing platforms to share data that researchers can use to evaluate whether something has performed well in practice. Um, I think there are a, a range of other issues too. I mean, Scott and I have talked extensively and written about a little bit incentives in the in, within academia to actually do research on these kinds of issues. I think often these kinds of issues are not particularly compelling for academics to study. And we need there to be, I think, more funding around kind of brass tacks evaluation of how various different laws perform in practice in order to generate the kind of insights that will enable us to make, to, to reach better conclusions, smarter conclusions about what policy works and what doesn't. And, and, and there are places all like all over the world now where I think like we really, this gap in learning is really significant. Like Europe is in the midst of the biggest overhaul of tech regulation of our time. I think the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act are really going to in fundamental, important generational ways shape the future of the tech sector. And I don't believe that will just be in Europe, I think it will be globally. But what are the mechanisms that we have in place to understand the trade-offs inherent in the rules. I don't think that you get anything cost-free and the digital markets act will have costs. How are we quantifying those costs and what are the mechanisms that we're putting in place so that we can learn about them? And are we developing similar mechanisms on the benefit side to understand, do the promises of an act like that, that has been, that is, that is so significant. Are we seeing the benefits that align with what the promised we have been promised from policymakers who, who passed those laws? So, I just don't think we have kind of a culture or structure of learning and experimentation and data collection that really enables us to understand what smart tech policy looks like.
2: So. I want to talk a little bit about what it looks like to have all of these different policies kind of layered on top of one another and I think that you know talking about um international regulation coming from Europe is a useful way to do that because there's certainly been a lot of conversation um among tech policymakers in the United States about how you know the DSA the and the Digital Markets Act they're coming they're here um they're going to shape how companies act because Uh, in the same way that Americans started getting a lot of emails about how companies were very concerned about protecting their data when the General Data Protection Regulation came out a few years ago in Europe, it doesn't really make sense for companies to have, you know, one system for privacy, content moderation, et cetera, on one side of one border and another one on the other side. Um, If we envision, you know, state tech policymaking, what we then end up with is this kind of, you know, layer cake where you have the state policy, the U.S. federal policy, which may or may not exist, but there are, of course, federal laws that constrain what states can do. And then international policy coming from, from Europe on top. So I'm interested for your thoughts on how that works. Would you expect that that would create chaos? Are we going to end up in a situation where platforms kind of cater to the, the lowest common denominator, or I guess the, the highest common denominator in terms of abiding by the, the strictest regulations? What would you expect to see?
0: I think this is exactly the right question and in some ways seems like the kind of the most important issue, I think, for tech platforms and probably users of tech products over the next few years. Um, And that's because it won't just be, I don't think, least common denominator issues. I think we should also anticipate that there are going to be direct conflicts between states around what the legal regime looks like and the lens that we've used to look at that is how states will react to overall where Roe versus Wade has been overturned. And they'll take action, I think, in privacy and content moderation related to abortion that will put states in direct conflict with each other. And this isn't just speculative. This is already happening. Uh, California passed a law prohibiting platforms from providing user data in response to requests from other states in abortion-related investigations. So if Texas um, wants to prosecute someone for receiving an abortion out of state, for instance, if they are trying to get user data from a tech platform that is operational in California, that tech platform will be obligated under Texas law to provide data in response to the Texas Attorney General's request, and will be prohibited by California from providing that exact same data. And that puts platforms in an impossible position. And I think it's very unclear what that will mean in practice. We, we know what that looks like a little bit from international conflicts we've had where the Indian government or the Brazilian government is requiring a tech platform to provide data in a case where the platform believes it's barred under US law from providing that data. And what that the, the result of that is that executives get arrested or services are blocked or banned or there are massive fines that are issued or there are different compromises that are made that I think raise concerning uh, human rights issues. And those conflicts between nations create real problems. And I think that we're headed toward a world where states are going to play a role in that. They're going to play a role in internet fragmentation and, and conflicts of laws that burden tech platforms. And I think it's going to be really deeply problematic.
1: I, I agree with, with most of what Matt said. I mean, I think the other, the other side of that, though, is to go back to what we were talking about a, a, a few minutes ago, not that much has happened, right? <laughs> like, states haven't actually passed that many significant bills in regards to platform regulation. So we have a handful of privacy laws, which are actually pretty similar. You know, not, I'm not, you know, not not to, I'm sure that, that uh, companies would, uh, many companies would complain that already they have many headaches about how to deal, how to comply with, you know, all of these different, Existing rules, but yeah, I mean, um, c- certainly the situation that Matt is describing is really concerning, and and I think especially in that specific instance, I think going to lead to some some really really scary and 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 difficult situations. But you know, in as it relates to some of these other areas, um, I think we just have to sort of see how it, how it all kind of plays out. We, we've talked to other people. In the
0: industry, by which I mean not just companies, but like uh, um, people who work at various different advocacy organizations and stuff. And I don't know if anyone is as exercised about this issue as as we are. I mean, I, it seems so inevitable to me that abortion will drive laws that that create real challenges for platforms and that those aren't don't end up just being like abstractions, but actually create risks and burdens and problems for users. But as Scott is alluding to, like, it it could be that we're wrong about that. You know, it could really be that the volume is not as acute as we think it is. And, you know, going back to our conversation about experimentation and learning and stuff, I mean, I would be very, it would be very interesting to understand if that if there ends up being a very limited volume of abortion related legislation that implicates the tech sector that will be really interesting to understand why that's the case. I can't I can't see it. It just seems like s- states that lean left have a very strong incentive to do things that are protective of reproductive rights. States that lean right have a very strong incentive to to take more restrictive approaches to reproductive rights and they will move very hard in those directions and because Because abortion, I think, involves how you can speak and what you can say and also your right to control your data. I think tech companies will be implicated, but we might be wrong.
2: So are there things that you would like to see from states? Do you have particular recommendations that you have in mind?
1: Yeah. So in the report that we put out at the beginning of the year that looked just at you know s- state regulation of of content online platform content um, we d- we do have a series of recommendations you know the the idea of that report really was like you know given that states are seem to be interested in doing things like you know Texas and Florida uh, which uh, you know in, in full disclosure when we wrote the report seemed maybe a bit more um, unlikely to to actually endure than than it than they do today. But the, the idea was, you know, there are all these kind of proposals which which seem kind of terrible. Uh, what can states do that is that is clearly legal and might actually kind of uh improve the situation of, of online content. And uh what we ended up talking about is you know strengthening uh enforcement of existing sort of laws uh related to online online expression things like bringing you know states have the capacity to sort of bring cases uh, under existing UDAP uh, like un, unfair and deceptive tra- trade practice laws uh, for i think we use the language like egregious and systematic violations uh, so so when a company promises one thing and then doesn't doesn't do it but in a you know in a in a big way you know they they can bring cases but On the other side, like, you know, we need states can really do a lot to help us just sort of better understand the problem, uh, the problems that, you know, of of online expression and online content. And so they can direct funds to research and study um, and then and then they can do more to sort of just like build the underlying infrastructures that support sort of healthy, healthy communication, healthy dialogue so they can they can support schools and universities and libraries. That's all, you know, really incredibly important uh, work that that states can do that simply we cannot have sort of like healthy online discussion with, without, but is often sort of overlooked in these conversations.
0: I think people often think of that sort of the yeah. idea of study to be a sort of throwaway that is code for do nothing or protect large platforms or something like that. And um, I think that's I think that's a fair criticism. I understand why, you know, putting a lot of emphasis on trying to understand the problem more deeply doesn't feel satisfying to people, particularly if they're really focused on accountability. But Quinta, as we were saying earlier, just in like thinking about, you know, about FOSTA, why did that happen? What have we learned about it? How can that inform future policy? It it does feel to me like there's a lot left to understand about the nature of both the challenges in this field and then also about how different policies would play out in practice, like what you know what are the real impact of various impacts of different policy proposals and so we really mean when we say put more emphasis on understanding, um, we really mean it as an in an active way like re- you know really trying to develop very concrete data gathering techniques, research policy experimentation that would enable us to really have a much better understanding of what policies will work in practice. And so the idea here isn't to like stave off regulation. It's actually to try to create an environment where there would be smarter regulation
1: in the future.
2: All right, let's leave it there. Scott and Matt, thank you so much for joining.
1: Thanks so much for having us.
2: You've been listening to Arbiters of Truth a Lawfare podcast series on the information ecosystem. You can find past episodes in the Lawfare podcast feed or in the separate Arbiters of Truth podcast feed. The Lawfare podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. You can get ad-free versions of this and other Lawfare podcasts by becoming a Lawfare materials supporter at patreon.com backslash lawfare. You'll also get access to special events and other content available only to our supporters. This podcast was edited by Jen Howell. In your audio engineer, this episode was Kara Schillen of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always, thanks for listening.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price
2: tag. Say hello to Quince.